the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking that what we have seen and heard. And they were very politely saying, you tell us to do this, but you only have delegated authority. God is ultimately the authority. And that's the point. Government has been given delegated authority. If they go beyond that authority that's been given to them by God and they tell us to violate God, who is the only one with inherent authority, then we have to obey God. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher in this series of lessons about life in an ungodly society. Our text is the third chapter of the book of Titus. The Apostle Paul told Titus, and by extension us as well, to obey the government. As we just saw here in Acts chapter 4, there are a few exceptions documented in the New Testament. But as long as the government does not require us to disobey God, we are to be model citizens. But these days we seem to have largely forgotten the challenge given by President John Kennedy. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. In fact, we have certain responsibilities, and Pastor Steve is about to share with us some of the things we can do for our country, our government, and our neighbors that will enhance our testimony as Christ followers. Here he is to explain. The great philosopher Snoopy, you know, the white beagle Snoopy, once said something so profound that it is worth repeating. He said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us can relate to that. If we're really honest, we can really relate to that statement because we, we tend to say we love the world, we love people, but it's the individuals who make up the world, who make up society, that we tend to have problems with. We, we tend to kind of lump society over here, but society's made up of people, and they give us troubles. Why, um, why do we have problems with individuals in society? Well, it's very simple, because they are often... Uh, people who are different than us, they are uh, often wicked in their behavior, uh, their, their lifestyles, their moral lifestyles differ than, than ours, they are often idolatrous, corrupt, immoral at times, uh, in their values they are often anti-Christ and certainly anti-Christian and so we tend to be defensive and, um, and, and not really get along with people like that, which brings us really to Titus chapter 3, because that is precisely what Paul is dealing with in these two verses. This is the place where Paul informs us of our responsibilities to, uh, to a pagan people in a pagan society. In the other parts of the book, he's really emphasized our, our response and responsibilities to believers. At least that's been the emphasis of good works within the context of the church. But we go outside of the church. What is to be our responsibility to those who uh, dislike our message, to those who are often hostile to our message? What are 
these people in the world specifically like? Now, we said before that they're often different from us, but what are they specifically like? Well, they're just like we were before we were saved. In fact, Paul mentions this in verse 3. He said, for we also once were, meaning that the people you deal with, the people I'm telling to respond a certain way to are, are like this, and you were once like this, foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And Paul's point in these first two verses is to inform the the Cretans, the people from the islands of, of Crete and us, every one of us, that while our natural tendencies may be to do something else, we have a responsibility to uh, be kind to people like this and to love them. What would be our natural tendencies? Well, our natural tendencies might be to resent people like this, to have a real uh, attitude towards them, or to withdraw from them. I don't like the way I used to be, and I don't want to be around people like that. Or the tendency might be to look down upon them with a, with an air of superiority, and there are believers who come across like that, and that's where we get the attitude or the expression of holier-than-thou attitude. And God wants us, as I said before, to love them, to be kind to them, and to demonstrate the gracious power of God in transforming sinners. He's changed me, he can change you. And that's what these two verses are about. In other words, we, the way we respond to unsaved people around us in an ungodly society gives credibility to our verbal witness about Christ. We are to show them how God can change sinners. And we are to demonstrate it in our lifestyles. So how should we respond to uh, ungodly society with ungodly people? Well, in these two verses, there are really seven responsibilities that Paul tells us we have. Seven responsibilities uh, towards pagan society. Now, last week we looked at two of them, though they were actually under one category. Number one and two, one is submission to the government. We looked at this last week. And number two is really obedience to the government. They're sort of the same, but they're a little different because submission is that attitude of uh, inward submission. It's an attitude. And obedience is the outward action. The evidence or the results of the inward submission. Paul begins in verse 1 by saying, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Now, someone asked me this week, what about the exception? And you didn't mention the exception. That's right, because it's not in the text. But I will mention the exception right now. There is only one exception to this, uh, this principle of outward obedience. And that is if your government orders you to do something in conflict with God's word. That's the only time that we are told that we can disobey the government. We should still have an attitude of submission, but we could not obey if they tell us to do something that the Bible says not to do or vice versa. And we know that, for example, from Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles were faced almost immediately after Christ returned to heaven with that very issue, and uh, they were told not to witness. And it says in chapter 4, verse 18, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So the the Jewish authorities said, No more preaching, guys. We command you, we forbid you to, to, to not do this. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking that uh, what we have seen and heard. And they were very politely saying, you tell us to do this, but you only have delegated authority. God is ultimately the authority. And that's, and that's the point. Government has been given delegated authority. 
If they go beyond that authority that's been given to them by God and they tell us to violate God, who only is the only one with inherent authority, then we have to obey God. They say, is that realistic? Could could that really happen? Yeah, it really could. For example, if the government ordered women to abort their babies, you cannot obey. If the government would say, you know, you're allowed two or one and uh, no more. Our population is too much. Our economy can't handle this. Uh, you must abort any baby. Well, you, you cannot do that. You have to obey God rather than man. And so that's the only exception. But the general principle is, is that we are to be submissive and obedient to our government. Number three, third responsibility to an ungodly society is do good deeds. Very simply that, do good deeds. Paul writes at the end of verse one to be ready for every good deed, every good work. So after speaking about our response to the government, Paul opens up the discussion to include now how we respond to people who make up society. How do we respond to these people? And, uh, and he says that we are to be ready for every good deed. Now, the key word here is not really good and not really deed, though they're certainly important words. The key word in this phrase, as I see it, is ready. Ready. That is to say that we are to be prepared. There is a willingness to help people around us. And I think the reason that this is so important is because God doesn't want us to reluctantly do this. He wants us to be willing and ready and prepared and and to have what one person called it aggressive goodness, to be aggressively ready and active as God gives us opportunity to do good to those around us, to the community, to uh, to our neighbors, to others around us, not just to be ready. You know, well, if it happens, but to aggressively go after. You see, of all people, Christians ought to be the most willing and helpful people in the community. Of all people, we should be. But instead, we often isolate ourselves from the unsaved and have as little contact as possible with them. And folks, I I, I want you just to think about this. Be careful about boycotting Unsaved establishments. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that. Uh, We're not a cult. We don't tell you what to do or what not to do when it comes to those liberty issues. And you certainly have the freedom to do that. I think it would be very dangerous to impose that on others. I think that goes beyond their bounds. But be very careful, because once you begin to boycott one place, where do you stop? Where do you stop? And eventually, if you're to be consistent, you can have no contact with anybody who disagrees with you. Now, as we read our Bibles, we read that we are to be involved with the unsaved. And if and if you can't give your money to people who you disagree with, well, you better look just for Christians to do business with. And I don't think that's right. And so I just tell you that be very careful about this. The world is only acting like the world. What do we expect them to act like? And we certainly don't want to hold anybody hostage because of money. And so you certainly have the freedom to do what you want, and everyone has to answer to the Lord on this. But be very careful, because according to this verse, we're to do good. We're to aggressively be ready to do good to our community. And Paul is talking there about a community and a society that's very pagan, perhaps even worse than than ours has gotten. So you you need to think about this, and and let's take it a step further. Have you ever, just by taking this, this truth, have you ever thought about how you can specifically do some good for those around you? And And the word specifically ought to be underlined in your thinking, how can you do good in the community? Maybe a family project that you all agree on, that we're going to do something that's really beneficial for the community. Could you volunteer, for example, to help in the hospital? 
Could you um, maybe help at a nursing home? Could you get involved in raising money to fight a disease? That'd be a nice thing to do. Could you just help your neighbor do something? Maybe move or or uh, move some furniture for them or do whatever they need, help them out. These are the things that we ought to be known for. Not for boycotting and being uh, uh, right-wingers who are arrogant and, and upset with everybody. There may be, for example, even a government project that could benefit the community that you could help in. Um, one of the things that I do, and you may laugh at this, I don't think this is that significant, but apparently the government does, or the authorities who ask me, one of the things that I do for the community is to be available to give invocations. Now, I don't think it's any big deal, but every year the, um, the county commissioners ask me maybe twice a year to lead in prayer, and, uh, and, and once a year the county school board. Uh, I don't think it's much. I don't even know if anybody's listening when I, when I do this, but they ask me to do this, and I, and I do it, and they tell me it's helpful, but uh, I don't use that opportunity to preach. Uh, I don't use that opportunity to do uh, anything other than what they want, and I just cooperate with the authorities, and that's, that's kind of what I do. Like I said, I don't think it's that much. I could do a lot more, but, uh, but they think that's a lot. That's a lot. And so the, you need to be asking yourselves, what can we do to, uh, to give Christ a good name in the community? What can we do uh, just socially to help out? That doesn't mean that that's our emphasis in life. It doesn't mean that we negate preaching the gospel. That's our priority. But this verse says, be ready to do good and speaking about society. In fact, Galatians chapter 6 gives us even uh, another angle at this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Now, as God gives you opportunity aggressively be ready, but as God gives you opportunity, do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we are to do good to believers, especially, that's our priority, but we're not to neglect the unsaved community, as God gives opportunity. We're to help, we sang this morning about, we're glad we're in the family of God, and we are to minister to one another, and we speak about that a lot, but very seldom do we talk about something like this, how we are to help and do good things for those who don't know Christ, and and probably very antagonistic towards Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, you were created uh, for good works. You are, you, are, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What are those good works? God wants you to do good works. Our salvation is by grace through faith. We're saved not by good works, but once we're saved, we are to do good works because we love the Lord and we want to please him. Now, this readiness doesn't mean that you sit back, as I said before, until someone calls you for help. It is an aggressive readiness. Uh, it could be even even God could call some of us to be involved in the government. I don't think he calls all Christians to do that, but there's a precedent set for this in Scripture. Joseph uh, was in a government position in a pagan government. Daniel was in a government leader in a pagan uh, government, it could be that God is calling some of us for that. Godly men in a very ungodly pagan society. And even today, the impact of Daniel and Joseph are lasting as we read about their godliness through the word of God. So I urge you to, to do something about this, to think about this, to pray about this, to really, um, uh, really plan as God gives you direction and, and puts um, wisdom in your mind and heart to be prepared to, to do something of benefit to the world around you. Think about that. What can you do? Maybe gather this afternoon as a family saying, what could we do 
to benefit our neighborhood, our community, our government, um, hospitals, any, anything like that. Look in the newspaper. What needs are there? And so that's a responsibility that we have. Number one, be submissive to the government. Number two, be obedient to the government. Number three, do good deeds. Number four, fourth responsibility, Paul writes, malign no one. Verse two, he says, malign no one. And what does he mean by malign no one? Well, we have to make sure that we don't slander people, that we don't curse them, that we don't speak with contempt about them or to people who sin, who sin we might detest, and we should detest their sin. In fact, the Greek word malign, we get our word blasphemy from this. Blasphemeo. Uh, and blasphemy means to speak evil of someone. We often think about that in terms of just God, but this verse takes it in another direction. We, we don't only blaspheme God, speak evil of him. Apparently, we can, and we do, we speak evil of other people. And frankly, it's very easy to speak evil of someone who is evil, right? Would you not agree with that? It is easy to speak evil of those who are evil. But we have to be able to speak against the worst of sins and yet love the sinner. Speak against the worst of sins, sins that we hate, sins that we despise, without speaking against and slandering the people who commit those sins. And it gets even harder if these people speak evil of you and evil of me. And doing evil things towards us. But you know what? We have an example to follow. We have an example to follow. Jesus Christ was faced with that. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read that, that he was maligned and he was cursed at and he was reviled. But he didn't respond the way that, uh, that, that you, you might think someone would respond. Because it says in 1 Peter 2.23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While, and while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And that's what we have to do. Trust God. Don't utter threats back. Don't slander. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 9, just a few uh, verses from this, tells us that we're to do this. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So not only are we not to slander people, we are to speak well of those who speak evil of us. And that's what, that's what the word teaches. Now, where this really becomes practical is in respect to politicians and public figures. And I said this last week, I'll say it again. Government leaders, we as evangelical Christians, and I'm just going to reiterate what I said last week, are perceived as right-wingers who insult everybody who disagrees with us, everybody who dares to disagree with us. They're on our blacklist, that we're really opposed to them, and we're really blowing it as far as our testimony is concerned. We're really blowing it. Even though we have the freedom of speech in the United States to say anything we want, we don't have to use that freedom. Just because you've been given it, you don't have to use it. Now, how do you develop a habit of not maligning people? I don't think you just stop and say, oh, I'm not going to speak evil of anybody. What you do is you reverse that. You reverse that, and instead of speaking evil, now you begin to cultivate the habit of speaking good of somebody. And and let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us this. This is how you break a nasty habit. You replace it with a good habit. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Okay, that's the slanderous stuff. That's the rotten stuff. But here's what you do. Here's how you reverse it. You replace it with something good. You are not living properly as as would please God if you just stop something. You've got to replace it with something that's positive. But only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Well, you may not have the opportunity to personally say something kind to a politician, but you ought to practice that with other people. Instead of speaking evil of them, speak 
well of them. So here's your assignment today. When you get home today and you're eating lunch with your family or you're with other people, I'd like you to say something positive about our president. Now, I mean that. I, I wrote that in my day timer to do that with my family. And uh, to say something very pro- positive, don't be sarcastic. And to say something positive, and you know what? Your assignment is to do it this week and next week and the week after. And before you know it, it will become a habit. And that's what the Bible would teach by way of, of application. Malign no one, but speak not only um, positive things, but things that would be wholesome and good. So, responsibility number one, we're to submit to the government. Responsibility number two, we are to obey the government. Responsibility number three, do good deeds to those around you. Responsibility number four, malign no one, but speak well of them. Responsibility number five, Paul writes, to be uncontentious. To be uncontentious in verse two. Now, what does it mean to be uncontentious? Well, first you have to know what contentious means before you can be uncontentious. To be contentious means simply to quarrel with people, to argue with them, to fight with them, not necessarily physically, but talking about verbally sparring with someone. Therefore, to be uncontentious means to not engage in conflicting arguments, to not argue with people. It means not to be belligerent towards those in society who disagree with us. Now, how many times do we take witnessing opportunities and they become heated debates? How many of you, just, just by a show of hands, have ever had that? You're witnessing to somebody, they disagree with you, and all of a sudden you find yourself arguing with them and really getting upset. Am I the only one who has this? No, there are a few, few else of you, a few others. And uh, maybe the others of you either really know the key to witnessing or else you're not witnessing. I don't know. But uh, many witnessing opportunities can often lead to heated debates, and that's wrong. And I'll tell you what it's due to. It's due to our pride. It's due to our pride, not wanting to look bad and foolish and especially ignorant. They say something to us and we don't know how to answer them or we're frustrated because we don't we don't know how to articulate it. We know what we believe, but we can't quite get it out or, or, or things like that. And we feel backed into a corner and we look foolish and we don't want to appear as ignoramuses. And so we we really get hot under the collar. You know, you can win the battle. You can win an argument, but lose the war. And what is the war here? The war is the struggle over someone's souls. It's all right to let them win the battle. It's all right to look foolish. It's all right to not have all the answers. But don't get into a heated debate because then you've lost your testimony. Then you've lost your testimony. And uh, you want to lead them to Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells us that we're to be gentle and uncontentious when we're dealing with the unsaved. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me find it here for you and, and we'll read it. Paul is speaking to Timothy about this very issue of quarrels and debates. And he says in 2 Timothy 2.24, he says, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, and perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. So when you're witnessing to somebody or when you're interacting with someone who doesn't know Christ, don't argue. Don't be quarrelsome. Even if you know the answer, even if you, um, if you know that what they're saying is wrong, they want to draw you into a debate often. Some people take great pleasure in this. But we're not to do that. We're not to do that. The issue boils down to, to this. Do you love those enough to not debate them and not have to defend yourself? Do you love those who are unlovely? Can you be kind to those who aren't kind to you? 
Can you be gentle to those who aren't gentle to you? Do it for the sake of Jesus Christ. Be uncontentious. I once read a little poem that might help remind us to be uncontentious. A horse can't pull while kicking. This fact we merely mention. And he can't kick while pulling, which is our chief contention. Let's imitate the good old horse and lead a life that's fitting. Just pull an honest load and then there'll be no time for kicking. If we use our energy saying good things about those around us, we will not have the opportunity to criticize them. We are glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are pleased to be able to adapt Pastor Steve's practical messages to radio format. If you would like to know more about us or to listen again to today's class, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. To get a CD or cassette with Pastor Steve's full message, call us at 727-239-0306. You have probably heard the expression that a person is too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. That is completely backward. The fact is, unless we are heavenly-minded, it is impossible for us to be any earthly good. Furthermore, most people are too earthly-minded to be any heavenly good. And as a result, they push to reform society externally, rather than living in such a way that they would inspire a change of heart in those around them. Join us for the next Verse by Verse, and another lesson from God's Word that will help us flourish as Christians in a pagan world. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.